Welcome to episode number four of Set in Horror. I'm your host, Chris Pagnosi. If you're finding this for the very first time, this is a horror interview podcast where I interview people who have worked on uh, films and televisions, and they tell me the stories from the set. Uh, this is not your first time. Welcome back. This is the first episode uh, back since Thanksgiving. Sorry for the delay. It just took me a while to get moving again after that holiday. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Food. Today's guest is the very talented director, Peter Cornwell, and we talk about his films uh, Haunting in Connecticut and Mercy and uh, finding that perfect haunted house and um, working with the actors, taking a, a boat ride with Virginia Madsen <laughs> down a river, which sounds uh, amazing as it, it, it probably was. Um, so please enjoy this interview. Uh, and if you haven't left a comment yet, please go and do that. Rate us. Me. It's me. I, I just need your your approval and uh leave a comment thank you very much enjoy this i, w- I want to start with um uh your, your background like where you're from and um and have you always been a horror fan i i've always loved movies uh since i was small and i remember recording just movies and watching them again and again and um, I love the I love action scenes and I love scare sequences and I found them I'd be replaying these films in my brain about how they went down and then I'd then watch it again and find you know how that compared to what my happened in my brain and I was just really interested in why things work it's sort of the showmanship of the order things are revealed and how the shots work and stuff. And uh, I uh, just became really fascinated. And what really excited me was kind of the nuts and bolts details. And then it turns out those are the same kind of details you need to know about when you're actually making a movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a passion of mine. And, yeah, since I was at school, I, I really wanted to um, direct. My father was a painter. Oh, okay. And uh, we, you know, he's retired now, but uh, he, uh, I'd come home from school and he'd be at a studio at home and he'd paint pictures. He painted um, like rural, like sulkies and horses and landscapes and stuff. And um, he, um, it, it was just so inspiring to me that he could just do what he wanted. But I always looked at the paintings and went, well, how long can you really look at a painting? No matter how much you like a picture, how long do you really look at it? And I wanted them to move and be animated. And so yeah. uh, it gave me the, I put, planted the seed in my head that I could do something I really loved for a living, uh, but also, um, you know, I, I knew that I, I wanted to do filmmaking. And then I started by doing animation because I could do it you know basically by myself yeah so yeah, yeah so I started in stop motion animation I, I uh, built you know I got and so before the internet was around uh, it was really hard to find out about uh, how to do stop motion animation so I'd buy these old uh, cinema fantastic magazines <laughs> and they had uh, basic you know, articles about how to make your own stop motion armatures. Um, and because better to have a little ball and socket skeleton inside your characters that you can individually tension the joints so you can do better animation than if it's just wire. Um, and, uh, so I, in my school holidays and stuff, I built little armatures and stuff because I wanted to make, um, you know, impressive sequences that it's much harder to do with just the camera with your buddies on the weekend. Right. Know? Right. It's hard to it's hard to do anything very spectacular <laughs> or something different to what everyone else was doing, and uh, and also yeah, when you were shooting film back then, uh, it's expensive on the film. Whereas animation, you, it's so slow, you don't really use that much film. You know, did you did also create stuff on the weekend with your friends for short films uh, aside from the, the stop motion? I had a Super 8 camera and I did a lot of experiments and test shoots and stuff, but most of uh, what I did was I'd storyboard, I'd watch films and analyze them to death and storyboard and then yeah. do animation, you know? Were most of those films that you were watching, you're inspired by mostly by action, you said? Was there, was there a film that jumps out to you as a kid? 
Well, I was really inspired by, I mean, probably the, the, all the action-adventure films and horror movies that everyone else has seen, but, but um, Ray Harryhausen's uh, Jason the Argonauts really inspired me because yeah. I did work experience at a visual effects house and they had these old copies of uh, Cinefix magazine there and they had this um, issue on Ray Harryhausen and he was saying how he'd look at movies and they had 80 guys credited doing the VFX and he said, oh, when I made films, it was just me. <laughs> yeah. And and I thought, um, I wasn't interested in integrating stop-motion characters as real-life people like he was, but I love the idea of being able to create this slightly surreal alternate universe and have my characters do whatever I wanted. And I, initially, I guess I started looking at doing drawing animation, but I wasn't that great an artist. And just drawing all day didn't really... Drawing the same character day after day after day. I actually knew a guy that was working that worked on um, um, some Disney stuff that they shot in Australia, and he was uh, he just got so sick of drawing the same characters oh. all the time. He, he quit and became a juggler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also uh, fell in love with those films, the Jason and the Argonauts and um, the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. It was mostly the stuff the, the stuff that I liked about those films the most were the monsters and and the skeleton armies. <laughs> Right, yeah, and I actually think there's kind of a magic in the fact that they don't look quite real. Yeah, you know? yes. I think when, whenever the, the film got sort of more grainy, you knew a monster was about to appear and it was really <laughs> exciting. That's, good. That's true. Uh, and I think today sometimes the animation is so realistic, you just look at it, oh, okay, it's just a monster. You know, it's like, it's like when you see a lizard or something. It's like, oh, it, it doesn't have the somehow the magic that being slightly surreal has. But, I mean, that's probably... That's, Probably just a um, function of, you know, the, the time when I grew up. I today's kids probably look at it and go, oh, that looks dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. What um, what scares you? And I, I want to carry that over into your films, but and I think a lot of people, like we were just talking about monsters, I think everyone has that one thing that they find the scariest to them. I think it's interesting in that, yeah, I think horror films kind of tap into people's existing fears. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting to just look at what horror films you like and then you, you figure out what scares you, I guess. Although, I think there's two factors. I think there's... I like just the cinema of horror films. Like, I actually love some films that, like, I saw It, and I didn't actually find it that scary, but I really love the filmmaking. You know, I love yeah. the way they crafted some of the scenes and stuff. So, and I don't know why James Gunn was saying, uh, oh, a lot of... What what he liked most about horror films isn't the fact that they're scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and he loved the fact that I guess it allows you to put sort of fantasy elements into a modern day setting, you know, without it being really technically science fiction or fantasy. It's you know, it's, it's like his in his film Slither, which I thought was actually really good. I love um, that film. I love Slither. <laughs> was, yeah, and it unfortunately didn't do that well when it came out, but it was. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I can see what he mean. I think I think it didn't do well because it wasn't that scary, but I thought it was funny and it had a lot of fun elements in it that made yeah. it super entertaining. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, um, and so you know, there's that. But uh, what scares me? Um, uh, I I know. I, I think a lot of times in it, it's um, well, one of the things that scares me, I guess, is in my short film Wood Thirteen. It's set in a hospital, and I think uh, one of the real-life fears people have is going to hospital. Yeah. You know, if you're sick and you, or you, have some, you need some serious operation, I think it's pretty scary because when you're under anesthetic, you know, this, even if it's just something minor, the, the doctors can always screw it up. And, yeah, and Probably more people die by accidents in hospitals than, you know, get murdered by killers that come into your home. Yeah, you know? that's very true. It's a very, or, yeah. Life, get struck by light. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, uh, there's that, and I think uh, I think that the other one of the other big fears is lawyers. I think that's something people really haven't, um, you know. <laughs> I think the fear of the unknown is is really, it's interesting in that horror films are all about the tease, and if you actually explain everything, quite often it's nothing like it is scary. It's hard to make a horror film as scary at the end as it was at the beginning because you've explained what's yeah. going on. Later on, yeah, you know? or you have films like Blair Witch Project that never really explains anything, but 
you know, that, that then you run the danger of feeling unsatisfied. Absolutely. You know? So tell me how you, you, you went from working in animation uh, to directing and, and then from there actually getting your, your first uh, directing gig here in Hollywood. Well, I was working as a sound recorder back in Australia for a TV station. And in my spare time, I started doing this little animated film. And I was really just doing it for my own amusement and for fun. And then when it really started coming together, I I became uh, pretty convinced that it was uh, it was going to be something special. Uh, and I quit my job. I took my like um, all my built-up holidays and stuff that I hadn't taken and uh, pitched in, you know, threw it all into finishing my film. And then it went around. It got invited to 70 film festivals. It won uh, a whole bunch of awards around the world. It got shortlisted for an Oscar. And then uh, through various events, I got ripped out here. And then... uh, my short film is kind of has horror elements, but it's action and comedy as well. And so I was meeting with action people, horror people, and comedy people, and you know, animation people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I just love the idea of doing a horror film. If it was the right one came along, and so I, after a couple of false starts, I uh, I it daunting in Connecticut. And uh, with Lionsgate and Gold Circle Films, who did uh, like my Big Frack Rick Wedding and uh, the Pitch Perfect movies, and yeah, it ended up uh, being—I think it's still Lionsgate's biggest supernatural uh, horror movie. I love uh, Haunting in Connecticut. It is—I I, I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago on a flight, and uh, I had seen it. I, 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 you know, I'm familiar with it, and I still. <laughs> Maybe watching a scary movie on a plane is not the greatest idea because you're kind of, you know, <laughs> trapped <laughs> trapped in your chair. But yeah, I, I still did the whole, you know, slouched down in my chair and and uh, and and it's still all the same moments I knew were coming. Still scared me, and and I and I loved that about this film. Um, when you when you read the script, did you could you picture those moments? I did actually. I thought that the image of the ectoplasm coming out of the kit. Uh, that's on the poster. Yeah, I just thought, wow, that's something I haven't seen before. And when I met with the writer Adam Simon, who uh, is awesome, and he well, one of the writers, there was another guy Tim Metcalf. Uh, Adam has since done that TV series uh, Salem. Right, right, right. And he was showing me, he was showing me these pictures from these actual seances that happened uh, back in like the the twenties and um, or nineteen. 1910 or something, and uh, they had this meat stuff would would supposedly come out of their bodies. Today, you look at them, you go, they're clearly fakes, but back at the time, it must have been really disturbing to see that stuff and go, oh my God, what the hell, what's happening here? Yeah. Yeah. And and by chance, we shot the film in Winnipeg where all these bounces actually happened, and they, we went to the library and they had the original photos. Wow. And whatnot there. There was this particular guy, uh, Hamilton, who was really into the occult. And supposedly, Winnipeg is the nexus of all these different lines of energy, according to the Native Indians. And uh, Arthur Conan Doyle went out there to investigate. And uh, yeah. there's letters from him in the, the Winnipeg Library and stuff. That's amazing. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was just t- total because we, we went up there purely because of the tax credits, but it turned out... Um, <laughs> uh, so a lot of the photos you see in the movie were actually from, from that library. Wow. So it was you know, really lucky. Uh, but it's really interesting, the whole debate between Arthur Conan Doyle was really credulous of all this stuff, and then uh, Houdini was a uh, real skeptic, and they had this real public debate about it, and these sort of arguments about, about it. And Houdini... Uh, got his guys, everyone he knew that fought in World War One. Uh, he told them to give him, to give him a code word uh, so that if he contacted, if they died and he contacted them through a seance, they could tell him the code word and then he'd know 
if it was real, right? It was real, wow. And I think like and I think he had like thirteen of his guys did that and he had did seances and none of them contacted him or the medium would tell them they were contacting him but they never gave him the code words. You know? And right. the same with um Houdini himself when he died, his uh, his wife, you know, never heard him say the code word he was supposed to say, so um So there you go. <laughs> where where do you where do you fall on that uh on that spectrum i i personally am um someone who wants to believe because i i because i enjoy the story so much and i think as soon as you dismiss the the chance of it being real the stories don't become as i don't know magical but i i i want to believe yeah i uh i love harmony and all of the idea of that stuff i uh i'm pretty skeptical when it yeah. comes to the actual evidence of of We've seen, but I wouldn't rule it out. I think that um, there's the whole point of it is there's stuff we don't know. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's correct. <laughs> so when you went to Winnipeg, did you did you already have an idea of of the homes that you would be looking at, or because th- this this home was was perfect? And and um, how long did it take to find that home? And how much of the home did you need to actually change to suit the set? Well, that's a good question because that was my primary concern of the whole movie really is that uh, we weren't going to get to uh, build the whole house on set uh, as James Wan did with The Conjuring. The Conjuring right. Like I think the, con- the Conjuring ended up being I think it was, a, so they say it was a, about a $20 million film wow. and most of that money came from the fact that they built this complete house. So he'd storyboarded out the whole movie and then he basically built a house to fit all the shots he wanted. And it was great because they could go through the walls and do all these shots. Uh, When I did Haunting, we were just wandering around trying to... I'd storyboarded all the key set pieces, and which was great because I knew exactly what I was looking for. Like, I wanted a house with a really interesting staircase. I didn't want to... You know, some houses, most houses, you open the front door, there's a corridor going down, if it's got a second story. But a corridor door going down, and on one side is a staircase going up. And then it doubles back, and it's it's uh, not as dramatic as the sort of foyer where you're looking up at the zigzagging staircase as appeared in the movie. In actual fact, the the house had kind of a more interesting staircase than I'd imagine because it was kind of this interesting angle. So what it means is you can have that great shot when people first walk into the house. You're looking down on them, and they look small and vulnerable. And <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and just there's a lot more freedom for interesting shots to add mood to the house than if it's just, you know, corridors and corners and what, whatnot. Um, was the was the basement the and, and specifically that room, was that was that built out or was that something you were also looking for? Was that in the same home? We built the basement. Even if you can shoot in a basement, it tends to be a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> actually filming in there because there's only one way in and out. Right. So it wastes a lot of time getting the whole crew and all the gear down that one thing. So when you build it, you can have flyaway walls and whatnot. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Actually, our basement was basically a full basement, but there was another. There were multiple doors, ways to come in. Yeah, so uh, it was faster shooting. But yeah, the, the other house um, didn't quite match my storyboard, so I ended up, you know, re-storyboarding most of the set pieces to gotcha. fit the, the new layout of the house. But luckily, it, it all worked. Um, and it was a big relief. The actual house we found, amazingly, the family was redecorating, so that actually moved out. They were already staying in a hotel or somewhere, and uh, and they were repainting the house. So we said, okay, well, if we can paint it our way, then we'll repaint it your way. And so all the furniture was already out. It was, it was just an unbelievable fluke, because yeah. normally you have to pay for you know, the family to relocate somewhere. That already relocated. Yeah, that that is pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I, I love I love the colors um, in that home. So now I I was going to ask that did you guys have to to paint it to? Of course, yeah. I think they were painting all the walls white and stuff. And you really you don't really want white walls when you're making a oh. horror movie because it it's harder to create the mood. You want to be able to sort of create pools of light on the characters so the darkness sort of falls away into the background. You know, so, right. Um. Yeah, you make it gloomy. What's interesting, though, is we duplicated. There's the parlor in the... I don't know if these people find this interesting, but in the parlor, we, on the, in the real house, uh, we decorated it, and then on the, in the, we built one on stage, and the one on stage is actually a third bigger 
And if you look closely in the film, I don't know if you can really see, but there's an extra panel on when we're on the one on the stage. And so it actually looks quite different. But uh, I was like, really? Are people? I was just wasn't sure with that. Um, production designer was like, are you sure that um, Alicia Kiwan, who's really great, she's actually done a bunch of other haunted house movies before my one. Um, and uh, she was saying, oh yeah, no one will ever notice. And, and nobody did. And uh, it freed us up a lot filming because when we were setting fire to the house and stuff, there's so, <laughs> yeah. so much more room to move around. Slight <laughs> spoiler there. <laughs> that's okay. That's that's the stuff that uh, that I love hearing, and I'm sure a lot of people love hearing these behind the scenes stories. And um, so, when the movie starts, you have, which is again a horror film. It's one of the coolest things you could see is that this is based on a true story, and this was was based on uh, a story that was originally aired on the Discovery Channel. Then you find out that that Ed Warren and Lorraine uh, Warren who did the Amityville stuff, also investigated this case. So was was there a lot of public information for you guys to, to, to dig up, or did you have to have a researcher do all that? Well, when I came on board, the writers already been working on the script for a couple of years, and they okay. pretty much honed it down to a pretty finished version, and they'd been bouncing back and forth with um, Carmen, the lady that actually lived in the real house. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we messed with the story quite a bit, to, to make it into a movie, yeah. Um, and uh, but it was funny how Carmen really we throw they throw ideas at her and she'd go, "Oh, that sounds great." You know, she really wasn't precious about about <laughs> sticking too close to the story. True story. But like The Conjuring and Amityville Horror, they kind of mess with what the true story was, you know, supposedly. But um, uh, I actually think Carmen believes what happened in the house was true. I'm not. Hmm. I'm not. You know, I I I think um, there's a book. Um, called In a Dark House about the uh, her account of what actually happened in the house. And, yeah, the Warrens came along and got involved, but um, they, they never, uh, the, the producers never um, paid them for their rights to use the story and their names. And so gotcha. they just got it from, from the mother that lived in the house. So, yeah, it's, it's quite possible. If we hadn't made the film, uh, it's quite possible that uh, it could have been a uh, Conjuring movie. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> it was definitely... It was definitely, uh, you know, one of their bigger cases. What um, what do you think are like the the key or main rules to doing a, a haunted house film? Uh, well, I think it's it's really interesting because haunted house is such a subgenre of this sort of. And most haunted house films are kind of PG thirteen or even The Conjuring, even though it's rated R. I'm not quite sure why it's rated R. <laughs> right, it, right. You know, it's it pretty. It was pretty soft. <laughs> PG thirteen. I wish. I wish. Just as a side note, I wish that America had a rating system like we have in Australia, which is um, M, which means you got to show your ID, and if you're over fifteen, you can go into the movie. Okay. And what it means is you can have more intense adult type films, but you know that you're not going to be watching people like sawing their own feet off or something. Right. Know? Right. Whereas in America, the Thor movies are in the same category as. The Conjuring, and I think that's, um, you know, just as a viewer, just for educational purposes, uh, don't you think it'd be great to have a different rating? Absolutely, <laughs> so know, yes. <laughs> even just, and what ends up happening, unfortunately, is if you don't quite, if you can't quite squeeze into the PG-13 category, then a lot of horror movies, they feel compelled to actually make their films more gory and have more nastiness just to earn the, just, the right. R rating because people, if people go to see an R rated horror film, they're going to be disappointed if they don't get that stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and uh, whereas I think in Australia, by having M, and what I remember when I turned 15, I got a bunch, bunch of my buddies and we all went and watched an M rated movie. You know, and your parents didn't have to worry that you were going to be seeing something that would damage your brain. Right. Um, <laughs> but you didn't have to have your parents along as parental supervision. You know, we got to go by ourselves. It was so much. Yeah, more fun. Um, but I think in America it'll probably will never happen because they'll have to go back and reclassify all the films that have already come out. Yeah, but no, they should just have a thing where they go, okay, the old rating from today, we're going to have him. Forget about the ones that already come out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but that said, um, rules of a haunted house film are. I think that it's interesting because it's it's harder. You can't have. Big kills, 
and like in most horror films, you can just kill people off mm-hmm. um, because well, you can't. You, it's really got to be a long, slow tease because if the people learn too much about the house, then they'll move out. And in fact, there are films where you wonder. It makes no. You lose all credibility because you go, that, "Well, they would have moved out by now." You know, there's yeah, really no reason. Yeah, yes. And I think that um, you know they try a bunch of different ways to justify the people saying. I think in haunting in Connecticut, the real shit doesn't start going down till the last night, and so and the parents are at the hospital, so. Um, it, uh, I think it makes sense that they haven't already moved out, and in fact, they think the house is clear of um, clear of stuff. You know, yeah. they, they think they've cleared it out. Uh, but um, and so, what's interesting is that uh, it, it, you've got to be very careful how you modulate the sort of scares and keeps the tension going, because I think in some films, it does, you can lose the tension a bit, and then you have a big nasty kill, and you get the, the tension back up again. Yeah, uh, but I think in a normal haunted house film, if you lose, if you lose the audience, it's really hard to bring it back again. You know, you've got to sort of keep topping up the the threat and the sense of dread. And, uh, and I think uh, ghost stories had there was a huge revival in ghost stories uh, after the Japanese started doing them because I think if you look at so many of the classic ghost stories from the Western tradition, you have things like the Changeling with. Uh, George C. Scott, mm-hmm. um, with like they had these great scenes of like the he's in the house by himself and the ball just bounces down the staircase by itself. You know how did that happen? No. Right. Uh, but it turns out the the ghost was really just well the ghost was really just warning him about something that happened in human affairs. And so often, so many of the classic ghost stories, um, the ghost just warning you about something. Whereas when uh, the Grudge and the Ring came along. Those ghosts weren't trying to warn you about anything. They were they were there to kill you. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and so suddenly ghosts became a lot more scary. And it kind of blows my mind that it took so long for people to tweak to that idea. You know? Yeah, great point. And and uh, and so I really loved um, those films. And I and I really loved there's this film by this guy uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Uh, Japanese director, he did this film called um, Pulse, which is um, Cairo in Japanese. Okay. And he did this other film called Cure. And and uh, they were just uh, really weird and disturbing. And they weren't um, super fast-paced or leap out at you like so many uh, American horror films, but I think that they just created this weird mood that I hadn't seen before. It felt really fresh. And uh, it really inspired me to see that, oh, yeah, there's a whole world of scary movies and supernatural stuff that hasn't been explored. There's barely scratched the surface. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons I, when I saw that film, that made me think, um, oh, yeah, there's there's plenty of room for new stuff. And I think... Um, yeah, look how we were one of the first haunted house films, uh, and look how many there have been since. Yeah, haunting in Connecticut. I remember, I remember watching, um, you know, all the haunted house films I could find. I really didn't think there were that many really good ones. Yeah, was- and uh, and now it's it's an, and it kind of blew my mind that when you think of haunted house, oh, you immediately get what it is. It sounds and uh, it sounds. To me, it sounds enticing. I'm going to, oh, what's the mystery behind the house? You know, who's moved in? What's mm-hmm. the what's the story? You know, what scares are going to happen? And I think it brings it home to your home supposed to be the safest place to live. Yeah. Uh, and to think that where you actually live is scary, you know, is uh, is great. And I also think story-wise, you don't have to go very far. You can have the family just doing a thing and then the scare's right there. You know, they don't have to get the team together and go on an expedition and explore somewhere. They can just be in the house. Though there are those kind of haunted house films too, like the classics, like The Haunting and House on Haunted Hill. Uh, It was actually sort of a team of investigators. Um, So it's like the different school. But I think that the family living in the house as, you know, in the Amityville Horror or Poltergeist. Yeah. um, Excellent examples. Yeah, that's, it's, Basically, the one place you don't, you know, you're supposed to feel safe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then 
uh, and then I, I just was looking at them going, man, there's, there really haven't been that many. And I think people get what a haunted house is, and but there haven't really been that many movies. And now um, there have been so many more, but I, I still don't think that the market's been saturated. One of the things I think that's interesting about supernatural horror versus slasher movies uh, is that with a slasher movie, you kind of know that the killer's going to turn up and, you know, is he going to come out of the left of frame or the right of frame? Or is he going to be behind the hero and stab him with a knife or hit him with something? Uh, whereas in a ghost story, you don't really know what's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a, it, even, even if you've seen a bunch of haunted house films already, you don't really know what, what's going to happen in this one, you know? And each haunted house film was secret, pardon me, secretly a mystery story, um, as well, and so you try to uncover, you know, what was the terrible thing that happened in the house, or you know, and um, uh, what what caused it. And, yeah, and hopefully it wasn't that it was built on an Indian burial ground <laughs> right, again. Right. Again, yeah, right. That's that's <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Um, the cast, uh, some of my favorite actors. I, I'm such a huge Virginia Madsen fan, and mostly because of Candyman, but um, <laughs> Amanda Crew, who is now uh, very popularly uh, known from Silicon Valley, and Martin Donovan, right, yeah. who's been an Ant-Man. I would love to hear any like memorable stories, and they don't have to be very long, but uh, something that, that comes to mind that you remember working with. That uh, Well, they that, that were awesome. I, I really liked working with all of them. It was a great cast and uh, Virginia was fantastic and Virginia would because uh, we were all living in hotels up in Winnipeg uh, Virginia like organized a bowling night and she rented a uh, boat one time and we all went down the river that's um, yeah that's awesome you know the, the, the cast and uh, you know a bunch of the crew and stuff went on this boat on the river which is that river is actually frozen over in winter so I'm glad we went there during, during the <laughs> winter <laughs> I love shooting and I love I love shooting in Winnipeg in summertime because it's quite warm. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I guess it was autumn. Uh, but, uh, yeah, shooting there in winter, it's bloody cold. I went back for, um, to do some, you know, additional dialogue recording with some of the smaller actors. <laughs> uh, I walked out of my hotel room and within a few seconds, I reached up. My hair was still damp from the shower and I reached <laughs> up, touched my hair and it was already crunchy. Yeah. That's how cold it was. Yeah. But, um, uh, but yeah, she having this river. Um, yeah, it was, it was, she was really great, and you know she doesn't have to do that kind of thing. And um, no, that's very uh, nice. Yeah, she was she was really fun, and she, she just loves making movies. And so you know, it was an infectious spirit. Um, and uh, Carl Gallner, who is um, was you know, like great. the main guy, he, he's fantastic. And uh, um, yeah, he's been in a bunch of. He was a part in American Sniper. And, Yep. Uh, uh, he was in the remake of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. and uh, He'll have his moment when he breaks out in something big, I think, because I think he's great. Yeah, very talented. Yeah, Elias Kataris, he was he's fantastic. I went yeah. and had a copy. But he arrived, he was shooting something else, so he arrived like two weeks into the shoot. And um, I remember just having a coffee with him on the Sunday and uh, and just uh, talking. And like, you talk with him for 10 minutes and already he's one of the favorite people I've ever met. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> just, uh, he's, uh, he's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly and, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, and he's really funny and uh yeah, I don't think he um I don't think he realizes how good he is as as an actor either. He he he's very humble. Um one one bit where he's walking around the house um waving magnets in the corners right. to try yeah. and detect spirits. And I said, you know, how did, how does that feel? And he goes, Uh, uncomfortable. Uh but uncomfortable's good, right? <laughs> Um, I had another question about Mercy because Mercy was uh, originally a Stephen King short, correct? Right, yeah. It was based on the short story uh, Mama. Yeah. Did you have to have any meetings or um, permission from Stephen King or does that happen from a different part of production? Well, uh, he had to sign off on it and because Matt Greenberg, the writer, had written 1408, Okay. Uh, yeah. The John Cusack movie. Um, uh, you know, he was sort of on side, but yeah, it took a long time for him to sign off on it. He didn't really get the Blumhouse model. And that was probably one of Chandler Riggs' 
from Walking Dead, one of one of his first big projects too, right? Yeah, it was his first uh, leading role. Yeah, yeah, he was great. Oh, it was funny. His parents took him away skiing one weekend, and he came back and he had these huge blisters on his face. He oh. called sunburn from going skiing. Oh, perfect. <laughs> he yeah. had these like these big puffy blisters on his face that you're not supposed to burn. So, um, <laughs> oh no! It, um, we um. Yeah, we had like a, a CG guy on staff that was actually able to quite easily sort of tweak some of the, the work. It's amazing how, what we got away with, because in person you're going, oh my God, that looks horrific. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, he was great. And uh, yeah, Dylan McDermott, and um, he was great. He telling me uh, what stories of working with Clint Eastwood and stuff. Oh, wow. I'm sure that's uh, amazing. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, he worked on In the Line of Fire with um, Wolfgang Peterson. Wow. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, I don't, you know, he's been in a million things. Francis O'Connor, who's, uh, oh, yeah. Awesome Australian actress, who I know, you know, most people in Australia know who she is from Australian films, but internationally she kind of broke out with AI, where she played the mother. Yeah, yeah, I, um, and, I'm a huge fan of hers. I remember her from, um, oh, was it Bedazzled, the, the Harold Ramis film? And then, right, yeah, yeah Bedazzled, yeah. Yeah. And um, of course, uh, horror fans n- know her probably from Conjuring 2 as well. Yeah, I was really happy to see her in Conjuring 2. And I thought, I thought she really helped give that film a lot of heart because I really felt bad for her character yes. at the end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And look, they're leaving the house, but, you know, leaving her with the ghosts because they don't believe her. And, <laughs> And uh, I thought uh, you really needed a good actor like her to, yeah. to um, inject the the pathos into it. You go, oh no, that poor lady. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She nailed it. She's so talented. Uh, would you say? Would you think or say that we are in a new golden age of horror right now? Well, it's interesting because we'll be interested to see what what the next stage is. But I think. We're just about to break into a whole new level because of, basically because of Get Out, because I think Get Out, yeah, yeah. a lot of times you'll meet with producers and stuff, and I mean, some producers, and they kind of get scared off when you start talking about themes and your film saying something. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> and they think that means you want to make an art film and not make it scary. And I totally understand there are a bunch of um, filmmakers that have kind of done that, like... Uh, like, I don't know, did you ever see Dark Water, the re- the remake of the Japanese classic? Yeah, yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. With um, Jennifer Connelly in it. And it was directed by Walter Sellers, fantastic director. I love Motorcycle Diaries. Um, uh, but I think the film just wasn't that... It, it was had beautiful, great acting, brilliant performances, like John C. Riley, Tim Roth, and Pete Postlethwaite, and uh, an amazing cast. And... Uh, but it just felt like he wasn't that interested in making the film really scary. You know? Right. It had right. a great look to it, but you didn't really get that sense of dread like you did in the Japanese version. You're right. And uh, and so I think uh, I can understand producers' uh, fear of that. But I think if you make the film actually scary and have it work as a horror film, like I think when you make a horror movie, uh, the, the horror that sense of dread and the horror is the engine you have under the hood, you know? Right. If, if you try and, if you, you can't make it work just as a drama, you know, and you actually edit the dialogue scenes in a different way. You edit it tighter to get to the next scary sequence, you know, whereas a drama, you can let the dialogue breathe, but probably because the drama has more character-focused story and you're going to read between the lines and read the subtext between the lines, you know? Mm-hmm. And quite often uh, horror films... Like, if in Dark Water, it's a story, apart from being a horror movie, it's a story of this mother who, um, she's worried about the kid getting, um, going back to the father. Right, the custody, like custody yeah. of the kid. And when she starts talking about crazy crap going down in the, the um, apartment block they're living in, then, um, you know, that's, uh, it, it, it jeopardizes that. Uh, but I just don't think that drama is enough to sustain the movie. You know, if the engine under the hood can't be drama, it still has to be horror. That's the B story, you know? Right, that's true. And, uh, and I think, 
uh, I actually really learned from that film because I actually really enjoyed the film, but it, it didn't make any money because I think people really, when they're going to see a horror film, it has to be scary. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and, uh, and But I think as long as you make it scary, like I think Get Out was actually, you know, had this weird tension that had this weird scariness. You weren't quite sure what these people, what their plan was, what was going on. Um, and it was really uneasy and those creepy servants and stuff. Right. And so it had that, but it also had this underlying theme and, uh, about, um, racism and stuff. And I think it really put, I think it articulated to people what it must be like being black and you're hanging around with a bunch of white people and you're not sure if they're being racist or not, you know, right. they're sort of being awkward, awkward. And you don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of people, they think, oh, you have to say, to be racist, the guy has to go, I'm racist. You know, I hate you people, you know. But I think that there's all kind of different shadings of that. And I think you can be in these, as a, you know, as a minority, you can be in a weird position and not really sure. And I think that, you know, that must be kind of creepy, uh, you know, being in that situation, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and I think it tapped into this thing that people hadn't really used as, you know, that kind of tension. And, you know, and again, it's going from real life stuff. And I think that there's now, I think that producers are more open to the idea of putting themes and underlying stuff into their films. You know, I think they're more actively looking for it, you know? Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, he, he broke records, but he's also probably on the, a path to a possible Oscar nomination. It's, it's, yeah. It's... Right. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of the, the classic, um, horror films of the seventies had themes and stuff like you know, Night of the Living Dead was kind of about communism, and Dawn of the Dead was about consumerism. All the zombies keep going to the mall even when they're dead. <laughs> right, right. And and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the original one. I think there's a bunch of uh, different there themes are. you could uh, you could draw into that. And then when they do the remakes, they seem to completely ignore any. Yeah, any of that, you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, and I think that that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, I think if you really want to make a classic movie, you want to have it worth firing on all cylinders. You know, I think having themes and stuff. People, people, when people go to the movies, they want to feel like they're smart. They want to feel like the audience, the movie's treating them like they're smart. I think, and to me, having themes and having a film say something under the surface, it's kind of like having a bass guitar, you know, in your mm -hmm. band. It's something that should be there. <laughs> no, you're right. And if people, you know, you don't want it to be too heavy-handed and shove it down people's throat, but I think people can find it if they, they're looking for it, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to give you one more question, and then uh, and thank you for, for, for being on, on the, the show. But final question is, if there was another subgenre of horror that you could work in uh, that you haven't yet, what would it be? Uh, I, I really want to do something that's action horror, and I'm actually working on a bunch of developing a bunch of things uh, that have those elements. Because uh, I think what's interesting in action movies now is it's hard to have like easy bad guys. You know, it used to be um, you have Russians or you know whatever and now right. I think you can't just you, you feel like when you're I don't know if, if, if you're killing soldiers and stuff so often they're just minions of an oppressive government you know they're just really guys trying to make a wage right right <laughs> they probably don't have a choice you feel bad about them it used to be like South Africans were the, the bad guys for a while and then um, you know then apartheid ended mm -hmm. um, but these days I think zombies are the they're sort of the enemy that people can they can blow away as many zombies as you like and people feel catharsis in it you know you don't have to feel bad for those zombies sure <laughs> right you're, yeah you're right because they're dead they're not coming back absolutely <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why zombies are dead people uh, they're not just infected people because like an infected person that gets rabid and attacks like that maybe they could come up with a cure and they could come back again yeah. and then you feel bad about it but if they're already <laughs> dead you don't have to feel bad about that's... shooting them in the brain <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think that there's there's, uh, there's quite a few subgenres of horror that haven't really been explored yet I think that it's um, uh, and I think that there's there's also just supernatural sort of fantastic elements that could be added into like 
stories that aren't really quite horror films as well, like more kind of like Twilight Zone episodes turned into features. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, like, I don't know if you saw um, the one I love, the Mark Duplass movie that he made with Elizabeth Moss, oh. uh, where he um, he's had an affair and he wants to get back with his wife, Elizabeth Moss, and they go to see this marriage counsellor, Ted Danson, and he tells them to, look, why don't you go to this little house for the weekend um, and relax? So they go to this house, and Elizabeth, they have kind of an argument, and Elizabeth Mox goes to the little summer house out the back, and there's Mark the Plass, and he's, uh, he's really cheerful and friendly, and then they get it on. And then she comes back into the house, and there's Mark the Plass asleep. And she's saying, what? You're asleep? We, you know, we just, um, we're in the other place. And she goes, what are you talking about? And it turns out there's like a better version of him that's in the house. <laughs> and when he goes to the house out the back, there's like a better version of Elizabeth Moss there. And so when you hear that premise, it's pretty intriguing, I think, because I don't know, I can't immediately think what, what the ending of that film is going to be, you know? Right, right, right. And... And it's supernatural, but it's and it's a little weird and creepy, I suppose. But it it um, keeps bending back onto the um, uh, the relationship of, of the, the characters, you know. Yeah. And so uh, it, it's kind of a, a different way of examining relationships in a movie, you know, that we haven't seen before. And it's felt really fresh, and yet it's supernatural and weird. It's not really a horror movie, but it's not really... I don't know what it is, really. And I think that there's going to be more movies like that as people um, just, you know, come up with new ideas. Yeah, and, and I think that's great. I think, yeah, I think it certainly takes um, maybe like this period we're in right now where there's so many horror films coming out and then, you know, you see something fresh like Jordan Peele and then I think people need to... People are getting pushed to, to create uh, differently again. Yeah, I guess I guess you could say it's a little bit like uh, an episode of Black Mirror. Although Black Mirror tends to take an idea like I don't know, liking people on Facebook or something like in that Bryce Dallas Howard episode, right? And uh, pushing it to this dystopian extreme. Uh, and uh, Twilight Zone would have mostly sort of moral tales. You know, someone had done something and they sort of get their come up and set the ends the Twilight Zone kind of rebalancing the universe, you know? Yeah. Um, or they made some fateful error that comes back to haunt them. Uh, but, uh, but I think there's, there's um, so much room for having sort of Twilight Zone type stuff that isn't necessarily, um, you know, have those same themes. I think that, I think that there's uh, a world of ideas out there that are going to happen, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think it's an exciting time in films, too, because I think we're getting to the point where pretty much anything can be filmed now, but not everything has been filmed. So yeah. I feel like a lot of the classic books and stuff and classic, I don't know, things like It and, and you know, big Stephen King stuff can, can actually finally be made uh, and, uh, you know, realize the vision of a book, because books have no budget restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> um but it hasn't been done yet. I, I, in 20 years, I don't know what's, what's going to happen. Everything's been done. You know, when you make a... Uh, like, I mean, like it or hate it, when Transformers came out, it was the first, first like, giant robot movie like that, you know. Uh, and I think in 20 years, it, it, they got to be the first giant robot film. And so, um, you know, they had the, they, in 20 years, there's no one's going to be able to be the first of anything. I don't think... I think, you know, you're going to be the another version of some movie that's already happened. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I can't thank you enough. I've really enjoyed talking with you, Peter. This is, uh, this has been, this has been great. And, uh, I can't wait to see, uh, what you, what you work on next, uh, especially if you're, uh, you just talked about those action horror films. I mean, I think that that could be amazing. And well, well, well I've been bringing up a bunch of, uh, a bunch of things. Um, yeah, people can see, uh, I don't know, maybe I can give you a link to Vimeo to see what's in my short animated film. Yeah, absolutely, please. I'd love that. And, uh, and uh, it's early days. I haven't made an announcement or anything yet, but I'm actually, I'm actually working on the feature film version of that as well. I've got a producer attached and, and whatnot. So. Very cool. 
uh, I'm I'm really uh, excited about that. I think it'll be uh, um, yeah, pretty mind blowing in stop motion animation. Oh wow, yeah, that's that sounds very um, exciting. But uh, but yeah, making any stop motion animated film is um, is is tricky. <laughs> Not yeah. very many of them get made. So. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll have to see what happens, but that's just one of the things I've got brewing. I've got a whole bunch of uh, live action stuff to um, which I can't talk too much about. But, of course, um, yeah, of course, that's yeah, very exciting. I've, I've been I've been keeping busy, and uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a horror movie I'm, I might be doing that's um, I think yeah will be a worthy successor to Haunting in Connecticut. Oh, very cool! I'd I'd love to uh, once that comes out, I'd love to talk to you again. Cool. Oh well, good on you, Chris. Really appreciate it. Thanks oh, for the- my pleasure. Thank you. That was uh, guest Peter Cornwell. Um, that was our first time talking, and it was incredibly easy. It felt like I had uh, was like catching up with an old friend. Uh, Set and Horror is a Sea Monsters production created by me, Chris Bagnosi. You can uh, follow Sea Monsters on Twitter at Monsters C. Uh, on Instagram, it is at Sea Monsters Films. And I uh, recently created a Set and Horror Instagram and Twitter that is at Set and Horror, which, um, yeah. That's what it should be. And I'm still, still waiting for all those Facebook friend requests that we, <laughs> that we talked about. Like our, like the pages, like the pages. And then, and, and tell me what you guys are watching, what horror movies you've seen recently and what maybe I should be watching that I haven't seen. So uh, go over to Facebook and do that now. And uh, again, if you haven't, please head over to iTunes and subscribe, uh, rate it, just rate it and um, and leave a comment. That would be very helpful because uh, I want to keep doing this. This is so much fun for me, and I, and I hope you are enjoying it as well. Thanks. Catch you next time.